Welcome to Malk's TV Talk, the podcast where we take a loving, longing look at TV and tell you this week, a News Limited writer expressed a fear that Seven will run the My Kitchen Rules finale against the Logies on Sunday, May 3. Tis the season for finals with the Block Triple Threat finale due the Wednesday previous, the day after the auctions are held. There are many greater fears to be had of Australian television's Night of Nights, such as the fear of who will say the most embarrassing thing when on stage, the fear of your dress betraying your spanks, or the other way around, and the fear that Nine will renew the broadcast rights of the Logies for another 10 years. Since the dawn of time, man has searched far and wide for the best things on TV. What to watch. How to watch. Who's watching what. Free to wear this. VPN that. Plug in and listen to what other people think about what you are and are not watching. It's Mulk's TV Talk, the podcast, with your host, Steve Mulk. I am your host, Steve Mulk, and joining me this week, a comedian about to tour Australia with a show, I Don't Want Your Honest Feedback, one of the stars of Nine's House Husbands, the host with the most, and by most we mean most locks of Chris Brown's hair, of Ten's I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, a woman who has, amidst all this, still found time to hold out for her hero, and sire two children. She is the lady of the manor of Gosforth. It's Australian TV royalty, Lady J-Mo herself, Julia Morris. Oh, my darling Malky, how are you? I'm doing very well. I, look, I lay it on thick, but yeah. it's because it's reasonable. No, why wouldn't you? Yes. I mean, you've got to get involved with a couple of details. I mean, I, always, I was on set not long ago, a couple of days ago on House Husbands, mm. and this chap said to me, I'm sorry, what was your name? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, when? Because I'm always fascinated that anyone would say, what was your name? Yeah. I think, well, I can tell you what it is now, but I, I don't think I've had any other names, to be honest. So when you give that description, I'm thinking, well, what has he been living in an igloo? Yeah, I've yeah, been I, everywhere, doll, everywhere. The best part is you get to tell him, oh, my name is Second Grip. <laughs> <laughs> and you know I mean that on every level. Yes, copy that. So how is your facsimile of Dr. Chris Brown coming along. Oh, gosh. I mean, I want to sticky tape the two ends of the facsimile together and just keep running it through until the paper <laughs> runs out. Do you know what I mean? There's what a, a joke delicious for the 80s. human. Yes, yes. A lot of young people have no idea what we're talking about. It's use the internet. Look it up. Yeah, that's right. Now, there's bound to be some sort of usage uh, situation on YouTube that will show you exactly what the facsimile transmission used to do. Look, uh, I'm so in love with Dr. Chris that these days it doesn't even make my husband nervous. Good. He's yeah. just comfortable with the whole get out, the fact that you sleep with a Chris pillow. Totally. Fine. Yeah. I think that also I think there's something in the complete peat repeat of me talking about him that in the end all Dan hears is wah, 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 Chris Brown. Now when <laughs> – I was just going to ask, were you lucky enough to have your family come and join you in uh, the Africas for a period of time? Actually, I was lucky enough for them not to visit. Oh, oh. shoot the <laughs> in Africa. Sweet! <laughs> <laughs> well, we did discuss it because, to be honest, apart from the six weeks of broadcast time, there was another two weeks of rehearsal time before yes. we went. and. In my usual style of getting over overexcited, I, I had arrived. We, we were thinking, okay, yes, let's get the family to come. And then we discussed it before I left and 
because it's January, it's the brand new start of the school year, mm. a really vital time to get involved with your new teacher, your new class, you know, to work out where your positioning is for the year almost. Rubbish, mum. Want to go and see Victoria Falls? Yeah, exactly. And then uh, once I got there, I think I was there for about three days <laughs> up where we were just near the Kruger National Park. And I rang Dan. I'm like, buy tickets, come now. <laughs> and for that area, you don't even need malaria tablets. So I'm like, the girls don't even need to do tablets. That was another kind of thing that was mm. holding us back. And then as the days started to roll, and this is just within the rehearsal, this is prior to us doing the actual show. Yeah. Um, I was saying to Dan, you know, we leave the house. At that stage, we were, we were getting a real sleep in. We left the house at 5 a.m. and we weren't returning back to the accommodation until about 6 at night. So Dan, who is the far more realistic of the two parents, mm. said, baby, it all sounds amazing and we'll be over there like a flash, but I'm not sure a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, there's only so much swimming and safaris they can do before everybody's just waiting around and getting grumpy for me to come home. Mm. He said, I think you should just focus on your work and then we'll go on a holiday when you come home. Yeah. And so that's sort of what ended up happening. And thank God he has that brain <laughs> because by the time we were shooting the show, we were leaving at 3.30 in the morning and returning oh. at 6 at night. So to turn up at, as mummy at 6 o'clock at night and try and give them, you know, all of my attention and all of my love at that hour, I had nothing left to give. So thank God Dan is more bright than I am. Yeah, you, you and you hung up that phone call with the clinking of champagne glasses in the background. Bye. Absolutely. Oh, don't, no, stop it, Dr. Chris. No, don't put your hand on my knee. Exactly that. <laughs> Look, we, we will talk more on Celebrity shortly because it really sounds like it was, it looked like a bunch of fun on television, which usually means it was a thousand percent more fun oh, yeah. in real life. Yeah. M-O-L-K. Mulk's TV Talk. But first, Julia. Mm-hmm. The news. Tell me everything. Game of Thrones, the biggest TV show in the world, launched its fifth season this week to massive, massive ratings on Foxtel mm. and controversy from all sides. Oh, well, you can't set up an old dragon outside the opera house with there being a little bit of knit one, pearl one. That's right. And we're not just talking about someone that comes from King's Cross. Yeah. The first four episodes of the series were leaked online from preview screeners. And if you hadn't already downloaded them, other people were using Twitter's new video streaming service, Periscope, to oh. broadcast the episode live. The season opener also had the highest ever boob, dick and bum count of the series. Woo! Yes, leaving conservative commentators in a spot of bother over which was the bigger issue. Rampant nudity <laughs> on TV corrupting our children or online piracy corrupting our children. Well, um, is it a show for children is my no. first question. Zero children. I'm always fascinated when they say, this is an outrage. Children could see this. Yeah, only if they're walking through your lounge room when they're meant to be in bed. That's exa- or at 11 a.m. when they should be at school. And the other thing I'm fascinated about, about people popping stuff up online before time, mm. is that they don't actually realise that that is burying their favourite show. Yep. So if you never really want to see another series, because as we know, television gets made by the advertisers. People within reason need to watch it live so that they can watch the ads, so that the advertising people will continue to put money into the show actually being on. So when you're doing that, you're kind of just stealing viewers and you're making it even more definite that it won't be renewed. Hmm. 
it, it's I have so many feelings about the whole online piracy thing. Yeah. And the the offerings that people give me back when I say, well, why do you do it and why can't you just wait? Maybe I'm cut from a different cloth, um, uh, her ladyship. Maybe I'm just a person that has the ability to wait for things. Yeah, well, also it makes it incredibly exciting. You know, gone are the days when we were kids when you had to wait another week for the next episode. Mm. All the binging just makes it more immediate. And, yes, you can watch it over four days and make your brain implode, but there's no sense of excitement. I've already seen it. Like I already get devastated when series come to an end. When you know, Every time yep. I can see the last episode of Girls, I don't even know what to do with myself. Like the fact that I haven't seen the next series, series three of Peaky Blinders, I've <laughs> almost been sleepless. Yes. And the, the anticipation that comes with that, you're right, is something incredible and even the way the writing uh, is built. When it's a, a binge show like A House of Cards, yeah. you can have plot arcs uh, that stretch you know, over two or three episodes really easily and have bits that pop up and do all sorts of things because people are watching in that sort of context, whereas, say, um, a Justified or a Breaking Bad or a Wire or, or all of, you know, even um, the West Wing, you know you've got 50-something minutes to yeah. get your episode out. So if we're going to tell a story here, unless we're intentionally making a two-parter, we've got to give it so that at the end of this episode you want to tune in at the next episode. And you've got some resolution plus a little tempter for the next one. The other thing is I think, you know, I am so in love with the television shows that I watch. I don't mind it percolating for a few days. Mm. I don't mind thinking about it and why that happened and how that happened. And, you know, my most recent thing that I've been thinking about is all that furniture removed from Don's place. Uh, yes. Mad Men, where I'm like, what, what, how has he even got time to buy more furniture? So if I was backing up with another episode straight away that I downloaded, and, you know, we are all tempted at different times. There's no two ways about it. Mm. There might have been a while ago, uh, I don't do it anymore, where I did have the special fancy, um, I keep calling it vis- uh, v- VPL, and Dan's <laughs> like, no, that's visible panty line. That's not, uh, a, you know, an internet address in America. Because we lived in America for so long, we yes. had Netflix, you know, on, yeah. on tap for two years. And, my God, there's no, I mean, it's it really, I associate it with a lot of joy. <laughs> and then we kept that address in the States and may have tricked our computers into thinking we lived in America for a little while. Mm. And so I, I am also, um, I'm also into it. I don't download anything illegally. I pay for everything I've got. Sure. But I just figure I'm now earning a wage where I can, so I should. Mm. I'm a bit more egalitarian like that. I'm thinking, you know, if you've got enough money to pay for it, then pay for it. If people don't have enough money to pay for it, then just do what you need to do and that's fine by me. You're the TV producer's champion, Julie Morris. Oh, you know, it's like I'm subscribing to newspapers. Mm. I I sort of got a bit grumpy about it not long ago and Dan said, baby, if you don't, it it will go away and then it'll just be only opinion online. <laughs> so, mind you, it's only opinion in the newspaper, but what do you do? <laughs> but that's right. I mean, we take the internet out of the, the picture. If you wanted to read the newspaper, you either went to the library or you paid your hard-earned dollars to pick yep. up a copy and you read it. So and even it then online, it keeps saying you're up to your 30 articles. You're like, mate, I just don't remember the password. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I've spent them all looking at images from Melbourne Fashion, Fashion Week, beyond me, but... Absolutely. Boys got to keep up. There is more news. Tell me. 
The stars are lining up to appear on The Late Show with David Letterman before the host hangs up his jacket on May 20. Confirmed appearances include Oprah Winfrey, Jerry Seinfeld, Bill Murray, Jack Hanna, Michael Keaton, Bruce Willis, John Travolta, Martin Short, Elvis Costello, and Don Rickles, with the final episodes sponsored by Depends Incontinence Pad. Love it. Mm. Absolutely love it. Did you get a, a chance? Was your uh, largesse such that you made it onto any of the late night talk shows in the US? No. Uh, is that true? Oh, no, a daytime talk show. Oh, daytime. But, um, Hello. Yeah, no, no, day. Um, but n- no, never at any of the night times. But as I've said for years, and I'm sure I'm not alone, Dave is the king. Mm. No one's better than Dave. Oh, and has so, been for a while. Oh, the fact that he is on his way makes me sad, but I'm very interested over the last mm, 12 months, the very face of nighttime chat shows in America has really been shaken up and taken some great turns and given Mm. some tickle-up modern times. And, you know, oftentimes Australia uh, will follow suit, but we seem to be taking a while on this one. We're so desperate for a series of nighttime shows. There yeah. is, you know, like for example, we've got the Melbourne International Comedy Festival on at the moment. Yeah. And there are a lot of incredible comedians who are playing to 12 people because they're, except for the project, there is nowhere for comics to come and show that they're funny. And that's ah. just devastating to me. Absolutely. You're right. I think it's since Rove finished up which is now more nearly two hands worth of counting years ago. Yeah, right. Uh, we haven't had like late night or even primetime variety to have anybody, comedians, you know, touring yeah. actors, bands, you know, shill their wares in an entertaining format. Um, yeah, and you know what? The strange twist of fate is that because of, uh, you know, the music industry has changed so much with downloads and mm. You know, people need to be back on the road. It's the same with, you know, amazing film actors having to do television. We are not making as much content. So all of a sudden people are back out on the road to make their money. So we've got the biggest touring artists in the world coming to Australia and really, except for the project, which, by the way, is amazing, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's a very uh, strict format. There's no stepping out of that format much apart from sitting at the desk and chatting and maybe uh, the odd song in a corner, but there's nowhere else for anybody to come and show what they do. And, I mean, how embarrassing. Yeah, it, it is a, a shocking indictment. There was some talk mid last year that all three free-to-win networks were talking about creating their own uh, nighttime uh, variety show, you know, bringing back something like a late show or doing, you know, a Visard-ish thing for all of them. But I think that kind of died in in its own sort of petard when they realised that, hang on, we'll have to spend some money on this and that's yeah. not what we want to do. Oh, none of them, by the sound to me, are in positions to spend that sort of money at the moment. You know, like most of the majors, apart from the ABC, uh, over the last however many years have spent big money on output deals, which mm. is going to one of the big networks in America and saying, okay, for example, NBC, we will buy every successful show and here's a blanket bit of money to cover it. So every one of your shows comes our way. And so you're seeing shows that you may or may not have seen if they were handpicked at a television festival. Yeah. And that is really slowly going away. So all of a sudden what sounds like a lot of the networks are now saying we're going to, you know, by the end of this year and by halfway through next year, our output deals are over. And instead of just buying blanket cover, 
um, they'll be going back into buying individual shows again and actually having to choose it and live or die on their decision, not just be handed a bunch of shows that may or may not work. Mm. And, you know, so I, I'm always fascinated by shows that people think are, you know, it's the biggest show in the Netherlands. And I'm, <laughs> no judgment, but there's about seven people who live in the Netherlands. So mm. I'm not sure what's appropriate for the Netherlands is ever going to be appropriate for Australia. But, well, you know, I know, it seems like a shock. I'm with you. I'm well, as, with we're you. Watching, as we're watching on SBS2 on Friday nights right now, we, we can see that what they like in the Netherlands seems to be dating with complete full frontal nudity in yeah, well, uh, Adam. Obviously that's going to work. When was that ever yeah. not going to work? <laughs> I find it really hard sometimes to be reading the subtitles because they, um, they don't dub the voices. It's all still in Dutch and, and with English subtitles. Quite oh, often the, the subtitles are over the dangly and blurry bit. I mean, um, ob- obviously everything I say is just my complete dime store psychology made up <laughs> in my own head, you know. Uh, there's absolutely no fact to it, but it's just kind of my observations of, Going into pitch shows at the various mm. networks over the years, and uh, you know, seeing what people are actually commissioning, and it seems to me, you know, I, I spoke to somebody the other day who said, "Oh, I loved um, I'm a celeb, but why would they put it on at the same time as the block?" Oh God! And you're like, "Oh, mate, I can't even begin to answer that." Yeah. <laughs> the education of the Australian TV viewing public uh, is very lacking. The viewers just want to watch something great and they can't yep. believe that there's five great things on at once and why so something has things, to be taped. Yeah, why can't they be on at different times, Julia? It's yeah, not like it's a competition. Well, the thing is the way that television is working in everybody's private homes, you can choose the time. And what mm. will eventually happen, I assume, is we'll just subscribe to certain channels that we really like their stuff. Like I will be subscribing to HBO. Copy that. And, I, you know, the, I don't know how, how sort of future... Uh, the the current form of television has and everybody I speak to in the industry seems to be talking about that saying what way is it going and why is there only reality or news or sport and the answer to that of course is that you have to watch it live yeah well they're they're trying to turn that around I mean MIP TV which is one of the big conferences that you kind of alluded to before where they do all get together and talk about what's the latest thing on television in uh, Deutschland or wherever, yeah, uh, and how can we take that and transform it for our market? One of the shows being pitched uh, is actually hosted by a friend of yours, Jason Byrne. Oh, uh, how divine. Oh, get this. Are you ready? Yeah. It's called Wild Things, and <laughs> it's a, a wipeout-style TV show. So, you know, that crazy American thing where they Amazing. do all sorts of obstacle course stuff. Yeah. But all of the competitors are in, like, furry suits. So they're dressed up as a squirrel <laughs> or they're dressed up as a – a dog and not just like it's really impractical like Disney character kind of Chip and Dale suit. Man, it's And how heavy do they get when they're wet? Oh, uh, you you'd imagine there'd be some drowning. Oh my god, so good. I mean so that good. sort of rocks my world. <laughs> it's just it's just crazy. That's the good stuff. The other end of the extreme thing is uh vanilla ice goes Amish. Ah, oh, now that gives me a certain joy in my heart as well. <laughs> because it, would there be anything better than seeing him giving some ice, ice baby while on the back of a, you know, a, a little trundle truck with a horse drawing it? Uh, all right, stop. Collaborate and build, brother. <laughs> we have one more news. Let's get through that. <laughs> Do it. Everyone's favourite flame and mongrel, Alf Stewart, visits the Australian War Memorial this week as Seven's Home and Away prepares to insert itself into the memory of Anzac Day for commercial benefit. 
Oh, in dear. a first for the series, cast and crew <laughs> travelled to Canberra to film scenes and not once did Parliament House feature. Keep an eye out for upcoming storylines featuring fireworks and hardcore pornography. Brilliant. They do love dropping in a few lessons, but they always have, haven't they? Oh, I remember yeah. um, there's a great comic, Gary Eck, and he, uh, when I first started doing stand-up just on maybe, I don't know, 28 years ago, he did a routine no. about there being a great big spaceship above Home and Away and them <laughs> saying, download the lesson now, and everybody learns about bullying. <laughs> so maybe it is time for kids to get a better understanding through their Home and Away of, uh, I mean, it's certainly no, you know, it's no, um, it's not selling something. Mm. if It's teaching something as opposed to, you know, something else that we saw this week. With a uh, you know fresh food veteran, oh gosh, floating to the surface, which was not ideal, obviously. Which I bet, I, I, how many people did it go through though? That's what I'm always fascinated about those decisions. How many people tick listed it before the campaign got up? Oh, that's an amazing idea. <laughs> well, heaps. In fact, the agency responsible for that, uh, let's call it for what it is, the Woolworths debacle uh, mm. for their Anzac Day promotion, previously. Uh, like not a few days ago, had, had sent out a tweet, oh, you know, we're really happy to announce that Woolworths have come on board with our, uh, you know, they're, they're choosing us for their new brand marketing campaigns and mm. we're going to really excite everybody with this new Lest We Forget um, integration. Mm. Uh, and, look, that thing was up and gone within a couple of hours. That's yeah, totally. And, was. I mean, talk about uh, hashtag Lest We Forget. They are so <laughs> Lest We Forgetting now. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Oh, it's just absolutely debacular. And the money spent. Oh. I mean, how much so money spent? So many lunches, so much money. Oh, my God, it does my head in. I know. Don't you want to be the person that, hi, I'm the common sense guy for this agency. Yeah. And uh, what you're about to do is not going to go well. Well, sometimes you just want to um, keep your job so you don't say that, but you do prepare the I told you so T-shirt backstage. Look, I, I think if you're the smart one, I mean, there, there's lots of parodies of this around all sorts of modern culture and stuff. You're the guy that, you know, sort of saying, oh, we think this is a great idea. We're going to hang a picture of something off the Harbour Bridge and no one will think it's commercial, but they'll think it's really wonderful. What do you think? And this little underling goes, uh, I, I don't know, whatever you think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You get scared to speak up sometimes and particularly when someone's, when it's, I guess in, it's, how people approach you with the news too. We have got the most amazing campaign about to keep. I mean, we are so proud of this. Mm. You know, my grandfather's a veteran. This is what kind of gave us the idea. And so when you're hearing something in a really positive light, you're like, actually, that's really respectful. That sounds amazing. And then when you see it out in the public arena, you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> I had no, I had, because I wasn't thinking in that way, I didn't yep. see that coming like that. It's almost like they need to just stop. Right, we're going to have this meeting tomorrow sitting outside on a bench so that we've taken it out of the boardroom. <laughs> yeah. We're going to sit in the sun and we're going yep. to look at it, let the sunlight fall on the page and go, oh, no, that's a bad idea. Yeah, or why don't you do it like the internet does it and just write anonymous notes about how you really feel about <laughs> campaigns. <laughs> Are you saying that people will hide behind shields of anonymity to just hang shit on anyone, Julia? Totally. At 100 PC, babe. 100 that up. PC. Mulk's TV Talk, the podcast. Now, Ms. Morris, uh, on this podcast, we look, we do a lot of things, uh, litigation aside. Yeah. Uh, but one of them is we have a segment called Pick a Box of Potluck. 
Oh, which yeah. Is five questions about your favourite TV show. Oh, my gosh. I hope I know them. Well, hopefully. I mean, this is your area of interest, so I'm confident that you'll do well. You'll perform admirably. Your uh, special topic today, Julia, mm-hmm. is Arrested Development. Oh, my God. Surely one of the best shows ever made. I, I do tend to agree with you. Oh. Are you ready? Yeah, I hope so. And you know, I'm nice but not very bright, so a lot of details <laughs> do fall out of the back of my head before we even start. Because not that I'm setting it up in a negative way, but I have a feeling I may not know any of the answers. <laughs> uh, look, five questions, you'll nail it. I'm sure. Here we go. Let's try. Question one. Yes. Name the narrator for the series. Oh, Ron Howard. Check. Correct. You see, see how simple this is. Nothing well, to be afraid of. I'm getting more scared now. <laughs> Question two. What was Jason Bateman doing before he scored the role in Arrested Development? Oh, um, I'm not sure what he was doing, but... Correct. Yes. He was doing nothing. Uh, but what a brilliant man, and why was he waiting in the long grass? Uh, like, look, that's I... how hard this industry is. Yes. Now I mean, he's Team on Wolf everything. 2, Team Wolf 2 can only take you so far. Yeah, well, that's but... true. And, you know, like we're talking top shelf. Uh, totally. I mean, let, let's face it. Uh, when it happened to um, uh, Mr. J. Fox. Uh, mm-hmm. We all understood it. When it happened to, to Mr. Bateman, it was enjoyable, but no, even, no one ever understood how a cousin could have the same affliction. Absolutely. Anyway. And they're all like, hashtag, where's Mallory? Gene- uh, genetics. <laughs> Did you know, just while I was doing the research for this, uh, yeah. when, because uh, he pushed for his sister, Justine, uh, to appear uh, on, on Arrested Development, which she did, yeah. he actually pushed for her to appear as his love interest. Oh, that's hilarious. It would be absolutely outrageously funny. He is so out there. I love him. <laughs> Question three, who appears in every episode? Who appears in every episode? Well, I know it's not Henry. I want to say Henry Winkler, but oh. he wasn't in every episode. No, but I do wish he did. Oh. Um, and, and we don't mean the core cast. Oh, we mean there's only one character that appears in every episode. Oh, well, it must be Michael. Correct. Michael Bluth, played by Jason Bateman. Love it. Question four, where did the Bluth family think Portugal is? (laughs) Near Miami? (laughs) Almost. South America. Really? (laughs) It's one of those lovely uh, running gags where they're just all geographically challenged. Oh, my gosh. I'm a bigger moron than they are, so it's hard (laughs) for the judge. (laughs) (laughs) Question five and the final question. What? Will Arnett's character's nickname is Gob. What does it mean? Uh, His – well, his name is Job, G-O-B. Gob. Apologies, yes. Um, but I don't know. How do it's, I not know that? Well, it's his character name, George Oscar Bluth. Ah, oh, sensei. It was because I was so in love with him mm. and remain so in love with him. That's why a lot of the details have gone through to the keeper. I mean, what an extremely funny, funny, funny man. And, and absolutely, what a mix uh, as far as the casting went. Yeah. Just incredible, uh, incredibly funny people across the bit. No, I agree. Oh, he's Remind. handsome. He's yeah. very funny. He's actually wonderful at serious acting. He's he's incredible. He is the bomb. Yeah, connected to Amy Poehler. Yeah, yeah. you can totally see it because they're both hilarious. I love that he loves her, even though that's gone by the wayside now. But mm. you know, that's Hollywood. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I love the fact that he had a uh, 
uh, a cameo in this year's Oscars as Batman. <laughs> he is extremely funny. I'd love to be in that hilarious comedy gang in LA. They are tight and fabulous. Mm. It, it is uh, an amount of div- divinity, I think, that uh, yeah. only someone like you could reach, Julia. Well, I think a lot of them kicked off. Did they kick off in Chicago doing a lot of improv as well? A lot of them were improv yeah, actors. So they worked together for many years prior to that. And as soon as someone amazing floats to the surface, they absorb them in their gang. Incredible. Yes, as you should. Yeah. We are the Borg. Keeping it fresh. Follow Malk on Twitter at Malk's TV Talk. Ms. Morris, what are your earliest TV memories? MASH. Sitting at home watching MASH with mum and dad? Yeah, I I assume Muppets are probably earlier and predated that, and we were huge Muppet fans in our our house. Mm -hmm. But there was, um, I mean, Sunday nights were a toss-up between young talent time and the football and mm. my brother was allowed to have one week and I was allowed to have the other and we'd come home ah. from mass and they'd be the option. <laughs> yes. Um, but certainly my earliest comedy memories for um, television would be sitting around watching MASH and all being, every family member being in love with Hawkeye. Yes. And who would it be? I mean, it's oh. such a delicious character, isn't it? Just a, what a beautiful man all around. Uh, Alan Alda himself, brilliant. Mm. But, um, you know, hearing years later that he commuted out to L.A. to work on the show and then home to his family on, on weekends to New York, it just must have been brutal timing. And he had a really um, big part in the um, writing as well. And oh, I yes. think towards the end he was an, an executive producer. So I just think, you know, I, there's no whinging about how much work I've got on my plate ever because it's something I've worked towards forever and lucky that it ever fell into my lap but I wouldn't be working half as hard as he did mm. well look it's it's such an interesting beast isn't it what do you think that that the, you know those special memories around young t- young talent time and mash and those sorts of things were formative for you I mean what was the place of tv in your household big time that was our main form of entertainment in our place mm-hmm. um we weren't people who sat around talking about our feelings it was the <laughs> 70s and 80s so, you know, we came together with laughter with our dinners on our laps. There might have been a stable table involved as the oh, years went on. Oh, wow. yeah. Oh, we each had one. Google Mum had that, set them up kids. in the kitchen. Oh, nice. the st- I've got two stable tables here in my private home as we speak. My girls aren't the slightest bit interested. And then Dan won't let me get them. <laughs> Dan won't let me get them out either. <laughs> I'm like, but it's the stable table. It even has like a drop lip. Right. <laughs> <laughs> In case something falls off your plate. Spill, in case of spillage. Oh, so good. Uh, but uh, definitely television brought us together as a family. We didn't mm. have the sort of money where we were out doing stuff. We weren't out and skiing holidays and doing that sort of thing. So um, sitting around and watching the television together and then muting the ads and we spoke then. So I guess that's why my conversations tend to be so short and I run out of the full sentences after a little bit of time because I've only got a commercial break to form a thought. (laughs) You'd be perfect for commercial radio then. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, with that in place, we were very lucky. And there is footage uh, all over the internet, people, where you can see Julia perform. Uh, You'd love a real performance um, kind of attitude, didn't you, as you grew up through your teens yeah. and into your earlinesses? Uh, uh, never classes like um, kids are today. As soon as they have, show a vague interest in something, they have to attend 784 classes. If we didn't have that sort of money, 
Yes. Um, but I, I definitely, I mean, there was a lot of singing into the mirror. In those yeah. days, that's what people did. You went and grabbed a hairbrush and you turned on your cassette that you'd taped from Casey Kasem's Top 40 on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> yes. And you'd, I'd be so grumpy if the uh, radio announcer would talk up to oh. and beyond the musical introduction. Mm. Like, hey, look, oh, they created I... that music for a reason. Oh, killing me softly. So, um, <laughs> yeah, television as always and indeed, therefore, uh, the Logies has always held a really definitely strong and loving part of my, in my heart. Yes. Did you I, ever perform on the Logies? Um, no, no, not before I was on the telly. Yes. I don't even think I've ever done any song and dance numbers. I've never been that big a star. I've always been a part of the television landscape, but never one of the core group that gets chosen for that sort of stuff. Rubbish. Yeah, maybe lately, but certainly not in the early days. I think I was probably a bit of a pest, to be fair. <laughs> what was your first paid gig on TV? My first paid gig, yes, uh, P.S. I still have the check. Excellent. Um, was singing Holding Out for a Hero on uh, Bert Newton's New Faces in 1985. I was 17 and I got paid $20 and my mum gave me $20 cash and kept the check and framed it and gave it to me a few years later saying this was your first dollar in television and it just won't be your last. Nice. That is yeah. so good. So and, uh, that was on Channel 9. So when I, um, not long after The Apprentice, I took that, I had a big meeting after The Apprentice where I went in to see the network and they were mm. asking me, you know, where I felt I was placed and what I wanted to do. And um, I, I took in the check with me. I'm like, uh, this is my first dollar I ever made in television and it's got Channel 9. And they, they said no wonder the books hadn't balanced. <laughs> <laughs> We've been wondering where those twenty dollars went. Where the hell yes. is that twenty bucks? Yes, get get the payroll on the line. I found that twenty bucks. Yeah, this is where they look at you and go, "You know, you can get them to bank it and give you it back, right?" Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm in school for the gifted. Yes, I oh, look not even you. Uh, that's actually really interesting that you you bring up the the Apprentice because this was your really your return to Australian TV. I mean, yeah. you've been on a bunch of sketch comedy in Australia hosted things, smiled and nodded, done all sorts of crazy stuff here. Yeah. And then you went over to, you did some time in the UK? I had eight years in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, over I the eight years. you did years, some time. No, absolutely. It's like a reverse prisoner of a majesty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, over that eight years, um, I would pop home and do a little bit of touring. And actually, um, Ted Robinson, who produced Good Newsweek, he was the one that kept my profile afloat in Australia because every time I would come home, I would manage to get on a couple of episodes of Good Newsweek, which was brilliant and so much fun. Mm. And so I might not have been noticed missing as long as I was, but I had eight wonderful years in the UK and really got to start my career again, not make the same mistakes and... Um, you know, felt very proud of my achievements as I started to get more and more work, certainly from the BBC, mm. um, and hosted a nighttime show uh, on Friday nights called Liquid News. And I, I had a wonderful time there and learned some great lessons and came up with the next big generation of stand-up comics who are now big stars in the UK. Yeah, giants. What, was it, what were the key differences that you saw having worked in Australian TV 
and then you know dropping into British TV like that. Were there was anything different? Was it just the sort of same thing, different accent? Um, my sense of entitlement changed big time. Yeah, I, I remember when I first started uh, on Full Frontal. It would have been maybe my second year, and I. Um, I was, I think I was on a telethon or something with Andrew Daddo, who I'm just so in love with. He is such a beautiful, beautiful man on every level. Mm. And I remember him talking about your level of self-importance when you arrive into television. And for the first year to two years, you think you're actually the answer to television, the biggest star mm. that's ever hit. You know, I've been working, of all of my year in the business, I've been working towards <laughs> this. And <laughs> he said... <laughs> By your third and your fourth year, you start to get a better understanding of where you're pegged in the industry, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And he said, if you're lucky enough to still have a job in your fifth and sixth year, then you absolutely get where you're up to. You mm. should lose a lot of the ego and start to apply yourself to working harder, doing better, rather than just, you know, where's my latte? <laughs> and then he said, if you're still working after that, then you're just grateful to have a job. Mm. Then there's a period of time you're out of work and then you're so grateful to have a job that you try to teach others not to have the sense of entitlement <laughs> when they're kind of new to it. And, of course, word for word, it's exactly what has happened. It's called the it's Newton good. principle, isn't it? It's got to. It's got <laughs> to be. As long as you learn from that lesson, a big pardon, as long, as long as you learn from that time, then that's been time well spared. If you haven't learned and you're still complaining when you've actually one of the few people in the country who has a job, then you've got to take a bit of a good long hard look at yourself. And I don't just mean the day-to-day whinging of, uh, you know, they brought me in two hours early. I'm not even doing anything yet. <laughs> but, um, you know, even Gary Sweet is the guru of that. He's like, mm. I'm being paid to turn up for, let's say, 70 hours a week. So if any of my hours are less than that, then I'm already on a good wicket. I don't need to well. It doesn't matter if I'm brought in early. Guess what? I was paid to come in. Early. He's a very funny man, Gary Sweet. I remember yeah, he is. Um, catching you guys on set, House Husbands, a couple of years ago, and I got to have a chat with him. He's a very, very funny. Just that he's, nice, dry, sly wit. And he, you know, he's he's a he's a little bit like me. And that 75 years in the business. We've been we've been all of the things that people talk about in television. I'm sure that we've been well, I can speak for myself. Mm. I'm sure I've been an asshole. I'm sure I've been the best person someone's worked with. I'm sure I've been a stupid person. I'm sure I've been a brilliant person. I'm sure I've been the whole gamut of them. As long as you accept that and try and turn up the volume on the good stuff and turn down the volume on the VIP stuff, then hopefully you will work again. But that's life, isn't it? I mean, we all are yeah. sometimes, you know, it's person A thinks you're that asshole, person B thinks you're great, all of yeah. that sort of stuff. It's just that when we amplify it, uh, as we do with show business, lots of mm. people get to hear about that person thought you're an asshole and that person thought you were great, as opposed to me where only, you know, people on the internet get to say that. <laughs> yeah. You just, um, although there's something great about being the nice person as well something great about people saying, gosh, that person's easy to work with. And I hear whispers back all the time of uh, people in charge and the decision makers saying, look, sometimes we'll go for a less talented person because they're easy to deal with. So it's, if, you, if you feel like you are the most talented person and therefore you're going to keep working, that's just simply not enough. It's such an interesting view on it, I mean, because we, obviously we, we can look at 
and you're much closer to it than than a lot of us. You know, hearing um, some of that stuff that comes from inside production meetings and producers and EPs and stuff talking about, well, who do we get to cast this or who do we get to host or be involved with this? Yeah. Uh, and you know, there's lots of fly by night, you know, younger people, even middle people that have been in the industry for a nanosecond that you say, oh, they were on the thing, and then hey, where did they go? And some yeah. of that's opportunity, some of that's whatever, but. I think you've nailed it where you talk about, you know, you've got to understand your place in the grand scheme of things. And that is that just because you're the shiny face on the screen doesn't make you the most important anything. Absolutely. And the other side of things is, you you know, whatever the team is that you've built around you over the years, um, you, the, your, your management in particular, you know, you've got to make sure that your manager or your agent is speaking in your voice because there's mm. no point that manager being the you know, the Gina hard face bitch. There's no point the manager trying to be the tough guy and ask for too much money because then they're going to be like, well, you know, Julia's all very well, but um, well, I'm not going to employ her because the manager's too hard to deal with. And I've yeah. been extremely lucky that that hasn't been the case with anybody who's looked after me. They've always been well-behaved and polite and reasonable and all of the good stuff, but I notice lots and lots of performers who are being represented by the hardcore agents and they're just losing mm. jobs all over the place. Actually, that's a really important thing that, you know, a normal human like myself it easily forgets about when it gets to, you know, actually doing the business of working in shows. Mm-hmm. It's never just, um, so, hi, Julia, we want you to come and do a thing. It's where we speak to management or agents or both. If we start to talk about America, you have a separate yeah. manager and an agent. Uh, and it's meetings and all of that sort of stuff that happens around you and because of you that you then only get brought into at a later stage. And if they're, you know, misrepresenting you or not playing the game the way you would want it played, that can be really harmful to your career. Absolutely. And you know what? No one wants to tell you because they don't know how close you are to them. Mm. So no one will ever tell you the truth, unless they know that the friendship may go down the drain and they're willing to mm. sacri- they're willing to sacrifice that to let you know that things aren't going in the right direction. I'm just it's making like, a note. I'm going to find um, my mother so, as my manager. No, you've got to, uh, no, she'll be heavenly, though, because you've got your best interests at heart. It's, it's something like um, when <laughs> yeah, someone asks you. Yeah, my mother. I bet she's gorgeous. No, move on. You were saying. Oh, yeah, travelling. Um, it's. <laughs> It's like somebody asking you, will you drink wine in this scene? And you're like, well, I don't actually drink wine. So if I'm being me, there's no point in me drinking wine because I wouldn't mm. drink wine. So you, if you tell that to your agent and then they go, no, nah, she's just not going to do it. It's a deal breaker. No one's got a reason. No one's got a, I mean, mm. that's a, such a dumb example, but it's a super simple example to work out. Yeah. Then you're just like, well, that person's tricky. You know, we asked them to do something as simple as drink a wine and she wouldn't do it. Yes. As opposed to, oh, we didn't know that she didn't drink wine or we didn't know she was a non-drinker or we didn't know that was against her religious proclivity. Or if they're not yes. explaining your situation properly, then you're in trouble anyway. Yeah, that's right. I, and, and particularly these days where we've got our HBO shows and all of those sorts of things where the line between pornography and television sometimes is very blurry. Oh, uh, Yeah. You know, all right, so ladies, it's uh, audition, kit off, show us what you got. Well, hang on, not comfortable with that. Absolutely. We, we should be in a position where we, we cast would know going in and producers would know going in that um, these people that we've got to this audition are people who are comfortable with getting their kit off um, yeah. and 
may have even as a part of their uh, portfolio delivered us some images therein so that we know what we're expecting because we exactly, look after a yeah. specific look on those sorts of things as opposed to, hey, get Mulk in here and get him to take his pants off. And yeah, he says, which no. Which we do anyway. Well, well <laughs> awkward. Um, well, also yeah, you whole- need to, your agent to be informing you properly for exactly what yes. you just spoke about. You don't Surprise. want to turn up and they say, but they said you would do it. And then you're the bad mm. guy on the day. You're like, oh, no. <laughs> and here's a couch that we've prepared. Yeah. Slide out on the couch. I mean, obviously, I would be involved with that, so that's not an example mm. that applies to me. But <laughs> as the harasser, not the harasser. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. So the move to America that then came after this, we're kind of skipping through your life a little bit. Yeah, that's was right. that intentionally about um, starting again, like you did in the UK, or was it, um, you know, my grand everything is going to sweep into LA and transform the world, or what was that about? It was a bit of all of those things. I, I went mm-hmm. over to do, I was handpicked for the Montreal Comedy Festival. It's, nice. um, uh, it, Bonjour. It's an, it's an invitation meet, as they nice. say. So you have to be invited to go. Not a lot of Australian performers get invited and it tends to be kind of, you know, the top four. It'll yeah. be Will Anderson, it'll be Hilsey, and mm. it'll be, you know, whatever other, it'll be um, Husey. It'll mm. be anyone with an E on the end of their name, basically. <laughs> and, <laughs> And so I went over to do Montreal and because they hadn't seen, because of my age at the time, I think I was just turned 40. No. no one had seen, I know, in the dusk with the light behind me maybe. Um, <laughs> no, none of the Americans had seen me before or even heard of me. So all of a sudden this, well, this well-rounded and completely experienced comedian comes into the world and everybody loves someone new. And I couldn't have been more popular at the festival in terms of taking meetings with all sorts of heads of network, production mm. companies, management. And I was approached by a manager who said, we need you to come to LA. You're amazing. Look mm. at the amount of meetings I've already set up for you. Why don't you come and test the waters, which we did for a couple of weeks. And, of course, mm. LA is such a funny town. I couldn't have been more popular over those two mm. weeks. It um, led me to believe that I may have been the answer to American television. <laughs> Of course. Julia, we love you. We've got this great idea. Totally. And I'm pretty savvy, but there's something about constantly hearing how amazing you are and how things are about to take off for you to the power of, which is what the dream is anyway. (laughs) Then someone not only locks into the dream but starts to narrate the dream for you in the right direction. I said to Dan, we need to move. We need to go. And, we're, you know, we are pretty grounded, realistic people, but this just sounded amazing. And And ironically, too good to be true. And so when we got to when we got to the states, once you move there, you're no longer someone interesting from out of town. Mm. So then, oh my god, then it became like a door knock appeal. It was. (laughs) (laughs) All you need was some girl guide biscuits, and you're in business. Pretty much, I had nothing to sell, just door knocking. (laughs) And so um, it wasn't long into going to loads of auditions that. Uh, the manager who I was with said, look, when people aren't working here, they go to drama school yep. because it, it keeps you busy and stops you from going mental because there's nothing worse than sitting around wondering why the phone's not ringing mm, because oh, it's, God, yeah. that's L.A. It's the Hotel California. Mm. And so, and you know, the thing about L.A. is it has the feeling that something is about to happen any minute and mm. there's also something in your brain that's like not like everybody else. 
this is this is definitely about to happen for me. I know that mm. everyone says that that happens, but this is different for me. Yes. It's the Hotel California weirdness. So while I needed to fill in that time, off I took myself to drama school. I was the only one who wasn't 20. Ooh. I was double the age of anyone in the room. But I think it was the making of me. And I went back to reignite skills that I hadn't gone anywhere near since I studied at the ensemble, you know, when I was 18. Nice. Good old Gossy Musical Society setting you up. Absolutely. And by the time I got back for um, accidentally for Apprentice, I mean, I literally mm. came home to just do The Apprentice to see how long I could last because the wages were so good. Mm. The wages were great each week and I thought as long as, as, long as I can last another week, there's another uh, whack of money that will keep us in L.A. And it wasn't until yep. the experience, in actual fact, it wasn't until The Apprentice went to air, which was halfway or three-quarters of the way through the shoot, that I rang down in L.A. and I just said it might be an idea to put all our stuff in storage and just come out for a couple of months because something's happening here more nice. than it's ever happened before. Mm. And, um, and when I went to have my big meeting with Channel 9 after The Apprentice was over, they asked me what I wanted to do. And in years gone by, like after I won It Takes Two, the singing show, I had a very similar meeting with Seven. And I think it might have still been in the VIP headspace because I'm like, well, yeah, I want to do a chat show. I want to mm. do a sitcom. I want to do a daytime show. I want to do a movie. I want, so they're all, un, you kind of give the most unrealistic view of your dreams. Someone <laughs> who really can't make any of that happen. Yeah. All they want to hear is, um, I'm just happy to be here. I'll come and pitch you some ideas in the next year. Well, no, because yeah. you want immediate results when you're coming off the back of something like that and you don't want to waste any time because you assume that your star is going to fade as quickly as it came up. And so by the time I'd learned the lesson with that with seven, I went into nine and said, I'd really just like a walk-on role in a drama. I don't mm. care if I'm in the background. I want to start to change people's perceptions of whether I can act or not. Yes. And, of course, the house husbands, I went in to do an audition for house husbands. Michael Healy, uh, who's the head of production, or, mm -hmm. you know, who's the head of programming at nine, he said, come into the audition and then we'll see what we think. And sure. I. But I, I, so I read for the role of Gemma, but she was much younger. I think she was a 30-year-old. And so they're like, this is the only material we've got for you to audition with at the moment. Just have a look at that. But you're not actually auditioning for the lead, but just mm. have a look at it. And I went in audition during the day, and that night the job was offered to me. Oh, wow. That's so, so it, good. It was insane and slightly hard to believe and all of a sudden I was about to embark on something that really had been at the top of my dreams forever. I just didn't ever think anyone would look at me for drama. Well, and I think the, the thing that reinforces for you, hopefully, was that, you know, you've gone in with, oh, you know, I'm willing to have a go. I've got some skills. I think I can do a bit. Give me, you know, an opportunity is really all I'm after. They yeah. feed you a, a part that is written younger but I have to say, as someone who has seen, I think, all the way up to now, season four starts this year or yeah. five? Yeah, something. four. We're shooting four as we speak. So season four coming this year, and you're still in the show as that role of Gemma, uh, Gary yeah. Sweet's character's wife now. Um, yeah. That, that, I think you've really been able to make that your own. And they've obviously now, uh, or post that, gone, no, no, we see Julia in this. We want to write that to her and to her skills. Uh, and it's not all punchline, punchline, punchline. It is some really wonderful dramatic moments that, that drip through that along with some wonderful, funny 
you know, husband and wife asides and friend asides and all of those sorts of things. Oh, it's been um, it's been a terrific process of watching it. Yeah, uh, I think by around about series two, it really, I think it really started to strike the balance between mm-hmm. the comedy and the drama because yes. it is quite a hard balance to strike. I think it's yes. either oh no, the laugh came in too soon. You didn't give me enough air to feel the sadness or to feel the drama as an audience member. Um, so I think we started to strike that about series two, and by series three, it just really hit its stride. And now, same, you know, as we speak, we're filming series four, and uh, again, you know, the writing is terrific, and we're just so lucky to have a job that we love. <laughs> and recognition that the the audience are responding by the broadening of the cast, the fact that it really is a big ensemble cast when we look at it. You know, there's, yeah. it's called House Husbands because there's four dudes. For them to be husbands, they have to have partners and kids in the offing. So Absolutely. And, do you know, we started shooting a little bit later this year. Um, mm. la- over the last couple of years, we shot a lot earlier in the year. And uh, a-, a lot of the possible big-name guest stars um, have been over in America for pilot season. Of course, we're clear of pilot season and clear of, um, you know, of pilot production. Mm. Uh, it seems to me this year, because we've gone a little bit later, we've been able to, I mean, we're absolutely spoiled with guest stars that are peppered through this series. I mean, la- last year, you can't get much more spoiled than Rachel Griffiths. That's Indeed. That's absolutely the 100% top shelf. But um, this year we've got some amazing Australian actors swinging through and it's because we haven't lost them to Los Angeles at True. this time of year, which is great. We'll throw in people like Indiana Evans. Justine oh. Clark, Jane Kennedy. Yeah. Yes, please. That's just the order from Mulk right there. And can you imagine the joy that we're having on set? <laughs> it's like, crazy. I mean, seriously, get Jane Kennedy off the set because I cannot focus <laughs> on doing anything but trying to make her giggle and laugh. Mm. She's divine. Oh, she's dreamy central on like a serious amount of levels, as is Justine Clark, who may yes. be one of the more magnificent people alive. An actress who is just outrageously good. We saw her pop up uh, in what was it earlier this year? Was it Gallipoli or something? She was in something. Yeah, and, and, and of course, really the time of our lives, which yes. she was so beautiful in, and all she never ever fails to hit the perfect measure. Mm. And Indy, oh my God, what a beautiful creature! Yeah, what I know. a beautiful, beautiful girl. Not just to look at, but to listen to, and to—I mean, she has, oh, she's incredibly clever. So we are going to see you definitely and a whole bunch of other people and house husbands uh, later this year on nine for its fourth yeah. season, which is delightful. But I think the thing that I certainly want to start to pick at the scab of, yeah, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here, Julie. Oh. Now, how help help us all understand? Yeah, how is it you can be on two networks in the same year, young lady? I know. So hasn't it? It's been an um, it's been an interesting um, you know, it's been an interesting time in mm. that. No one can work it out. And so loads <laughs> of uh, the gossip journalists have just decided to make up. shit up. Yeah. Boy, it's been frustrating and it's gone some way to damage the relationships that I have, you know, worked years to put mm. in place. But exactly how it happened was that uh, I have a, a, a lovely relationship with ITV, mm-hmm. uh, who are the production company behind I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. And when I realised they were going to make it, I was sick to the stomach 
desperate to host it. And I just thought they're never going to, you know, the networks aren't going to look at me like that. You know, the networks want a Hamish and Andy or they want, you know, groovy young people or they want a radio team or they want, you know. All the obvious tie-ins and reflecting the Ant and Dick success success that happens with the UK version. Yeah, and once they see Ant and Dick, they're like, well, it just has to be two boys full stop and it has to be uh, two muck around guys. Yeah. So, um, and I think that ITV were very kind in that wherever they pitched it, and they did pitch it to all of the networks, from what I understand, Mm -hmm. um, they continued to bring my name up again and again and to varying degrees of uh, acceptance from who they were pitching to where they'd be like, oh, I don't know. I'm not really sure that I would see her in that role. So uh, by the time they had confirmed that 10 had bought it or 10 had confirmed that 10 had bought it, yes. um, I, I, just kept, I thought, oh, well, that's it now. It, I, I'm not contracted ch- to Channel 9. Mm. I just make house husbands for them. And so there's a big hangover from years gone by that if you are with a network, they're the only network you're allowed to work with. Well, that was when they paid you a significant amount of money yeah. to only be with them. And, and you, it's there's such no an Australian way you'd be on thing network. too, isn't it? America is Ugh. well beyond this now. We see it on the Tonight Shows, for example, where you know person A goes on such and such as person B's Tonight Show to talk about their new show, which is on a different network. Well, this is why we never, ever really get a proper snapshot of Australian entertainment because mm. you're only allowed to have the people that are, on, that are on your network. There's no crossing over. We don't do it. I don't know why we're so back in the dark ages because if we don't catch up, you know, no one's going to be working soon. Yeah. But we, uh, what had happened was my agent went in to see Channel 10 and asked would there be a way that they would consider me. And, and their, uh, their thing was I thought she was contracted to nine. So once wow. that was made clear that I wasn't contracted to Nine, I also at the same time kept Nine informed. That's the sure. other thing. There was no cloak and dagger about it. I'm like, oh, I really want this job. Yep. Uh, so this is what I'm really hoping will happen. And I think everyone was very nervous because, uh, you know, there's, there's so much trouble that goes on between all of them where everyone just gets narky and grumpy yeah. or they certainly have in years gone by. Yes, I know You stole my person and this is an yeah. outrage. And, but, you know. We don't have a big industry. You just can't be, unless you're going to pay me I, and pay for my children's school fees. Yep. I mean, they're at a public school. There are no school fees, so that's not a great example. But unless someone's going to pay for my rent, yep. I don't understand why I'm not going to work just to be polite. Mummy needs to eat. Mummy needs to eat. So they were open to the idea. Um, I, I believe my agent when she spoke to Nine, they were like, oh, of course we only want her here, but we understand we can't restrict her. Good, yep. And Finally, so, sense prevails. I know. And I think because, I mean, I, this is what I'm assuming. I think because my relationships are so good and because I've been very well behaved mm. with making sure I'm, I'm, you know, I do as much as they ask me to do. I try my best and I, yes. I turn up and I'm positive and I give more than I've been paid for and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think they were like, you know what, that's a good bird. She deserves this break. Yep. I, that's the only thing I can work out of how, how it all worked out. So then, and, of course, as soon as I found out that Dr. Chris Brown was the other host and we'd had such fun on our Logies presentation years before, mm. I was more determined than ever to do it. And then, of course, there was loads of little speed bumps in our way. 
normally house husbands would be shooting earlier. Mm. Normally, um, normally it would have. Normally, it would have made people so angry that I would even consider working for someone else that it would have turned sour. So, how we all, you know, my agent was a huge part of keeping those relationships afloat. Apart from the fact that I turn up and do the right thing, mm-hmm. she also is very honest. She's not trying to shake people down for cash. <laughs> She's always very upfront, very fair. We call her the Velvet Hammer. <laughs> and she's nice. so completely superb. So, between. Both hers and my relationships being so strong mm. uh, with both is how it all came off. So not very long ago when a gossip journalist had printed something about how Nine were blocking Chris Brown from presenting with me, mm. there was just some idiot in their office just going, oh, it's a slow news day. I can't really up. work out how Julia gets to work for both. So I'm going. Oh, there's bound to be some bad feelings there. I'm going to just float them to the surface anyway, mm-hmm. without asking me, without asking Chris, without asking yeah. Nine, without asking Dan. Wow. So lots of people try and make trouble for you where there isn't trouble, which is really frustrating. And it is, you know, I'm sure it's a slightly tenuous situation that everyone's remained pleasant over, and I, I certainly don't get to hear any grumpiness over mm. it. And from what I understand, there isn't, but I do really appreciate someone else trying to cause trouble where there isn't. It really <laughs> does my nut in. You're like, mate, the, the scales of balance are so fine. I don't need you saying that one person's doing one thing and then one person's doing the other. Because even though everybody in the industry knows that it's gossip columnists sitting down and making that stuff up, it's still... From, you know, they still kind of think, well, there's got to be a grain of truth in that. Otherwise, where did they get that story from? I can yeah. tell you where she got it from, out of her ass. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes. having said all of that, mm. uh, I know that uh, Nine are very happy for my success and, of course, coming back right back into the bosom for house husbands, I've been made feel nothing but extremely welcome back. Awesome. And the same thing for... Channel 10, who when I was nominated for House Husbands, you know, the network tweeted, congratulations on your House Husbands um, nomination. Yeah. So it's just everyone's being terribly grown up about it, which is so unlike our industry, and it's incredibly impressive and hopefully goes some way to uh, paving the way for the future of our industry that people need to work. And, you know, unless you want to pay me top dollar not to, <laughs> Copy that. Yeah, they can pay which, me money not to do anything anytime they want. You, and do you know what? Years ago, I would absolutely say that and stand by that. But these days, you can't be sitting around on your cash pile. You need. I need to work. Yeah. And I want to work on stuff that feeds the soul. And I must say, you know, the eight weeks in Africa was uh, was possibly professionally the most fun I've ever had in my life. It looked to be the loosest television we've seen in a long time, that's for sure. I know. Well, do you know what? It's the first time I've been allowed to be myself. Of all of the yeah. shows that I presented or been on or, you know, I, I, I didn't feel a great sense of urgency like I was promoting something like when you're on a chat show. Mm. Um, the executive producers of this program employed Chris and I to do a job that they then let us do. Yes. Um, uh, groundbreaking, isn't it? <laughs> Extraordinary. And the other thing was, you know, when I say we left home at 3.30, we left home at 3.30 to go to set to watch 
all of the footage that they were considering. Mm. And then once the grown-ups had made up their mind exactly what was going in the show, we then went into big script meetings. Our script writers were up from midnight putting the scripts together. Wow. And then between Chris and I and Michael Chamberlain and Matt Lovekiss, who were the two writers, mm. the four of us would then shape uh, certainly the more physical comedy parts of, of the jokes. Yes. Um, and and add and subtract where I'd say, oh, I think that's a bit mean or this needs to drive a little harder. And so mm. between the four of us, we would then, we'd be in a two-hour script meeting. From there, we would uh, like, you know, go into hair and makeup and then we would have a a full, which never happens in live television, <laughs> a full rehearsal where we get rehearsed from the beginning to the middle to the end. Not one day went by where we didn't get to do a full rehearsal. And I can't begin to tell you how that never happens in television. You always run out of time. Was it taped just in case? No, never. Uh, the only thing that was taped was the um, us walking across the bridge because that was a big what we call a jib move and yeah, that yeah. was on a great big crane. Yes. And the crane, um, you know, being in Africa, the crane had a lot of trees and things that it could go into. So <laughs> only the, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. That was the only taped bit. And then the rest of uh, Chris's and my contribution was absolutely 100% live to air. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, uh, Daylight Which, Time. Well, absolutely, yes. and made it so exciting. Well, I, I think that played through too, and, and I think one of the uh, the fun things, because one of the criticisms that came of the show early, not of the show but of Ken choosing to, you know, play it at 7.30 in each of its various markets, meant that it was only sort of three or four states that got to see it live. Yeah. And the yep. rest of us got it, you know, an hour or a half an hour. Uh, or with the, hours with the internet spoiling all the surprises. Oh, even beyond that, but just the way that, uh, you know, you guys as hosts with the, the, the writers decided to, to poke fun at that and talk about, you know, <laughs> If you're in Adelaide, well, too bad. Uh, or, you know, welcome to 1973. Um, yeah. But the great just- news was they, um, they let us muck around with the genre a bit. The, the, uh, our reality genre is meant to create jeopardy. Mm. Oh, my God. But we're watching so much, so much uh, reality TV that people are like, yes, yes, I get that this means something. I get that there's jeopardy. I mean, the music is the giveaway. Mm. So the fact that they did, that they were brave enough to let us muck around with the genre is absolutely groundbreaking because it's just you never get to do that sort of narration. It never happens. You never get to take the piss out of your own type of show. (laughs) Yes. And it was so much fun to be a part of. Delightful in the process too, I have to say. Look, for mine, I'm a Celebrity was uh, went up against, you know, two granddaddies of the genre in the Block and My Kitchen Rules. Oh, God, yeah. And well-established and tremendously popular. Very much so. Such a fresh approach to, you know, and so different. I mean, sure, it's it's a a concept that's been around, but delivering it into Australian audiences with the characters and the cast and the rest just made it something inviting and new and that it was live and delivered what it did each night just meant that I have to watch. I have to see what the cast are going to say or be made to eat. I have to see what craziness Julie and Chris are going to get up to now. I have to see, and these were some of the finest moments for mine, what live animal they're going to be allowed to have on set. and what <laughs> may or may not create. kill us. That's exactly I love right. it. Everyone in South Africa was like, I would no sooner hold a hyena than fly to the moon. But you, you've got it up to your face kissing it. I'm like, oh, mm. I didn't know. I was at risk. 
We were as loose as a goose. Look, the other great luxury about being live to air is that it wasn't in the can, you know, it wasn't filmed four months ago. So Mm. we were able to uh, respond to social networking. I just felt like a really um, great luxury to be able to, you know, people were saying we were just in far north Queensland. So then the next night we're making jokes (laughs) about how we're in far north Queensland. So we were able to respond and allow the audience to very much feel a part of it. You know, every night they got to decide who was going to be in the challenges like two hours away when we shot the trial this afternoon. Not even we know Mm. who's going to be in it. So um, it was very different from that perspective. And, though you know, I love both of those, um, the other shows, The Great Big Juggernauts. Um, You know, I've always been a fan of My Christian Rules and I love the block, um, Mm. but it was very exciting to not, already have it in the can and have to sit on a secret yes. of how it went and what the dramas were and try and remember four months ago what happened. And, you know, it was terrific. that it, We were so in the moment that I reckon it took me, I mean, it's probably still taking me time now, but I think it took me a solid three weeks to let it go and actually mentally come home. Mm, I can understand that. You're a horrible secret keeper, so... I can understand yeah. why these people would want to have you deliver it totally. live rather than sit on it and act like Mouth you're on a who, stick. Yeah, who were the surprises from a cast perspective? Like, you know, all of these people come in with their various um, auras and, and, you know, stuff we've heard and read and seen about them. You know, Big Bad Barry Hall is a little bit of a cuddly kitten. Um, what were the surprises that came out of the cast from you watching them? Do their thing. Well, the the initial cast announcement excited me because it just wasn't the usual suspects that I already mm. know what to expect out of them. I think the cast themselves, a lot of them, um, from what I understand, hadn't bothered to watch the show oh, before they went in. Oh, serious? Now, so it's funny. called I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know whether they thought they were just going to trundle off to a hotel on the two days that we were <laughs> I mean, it was brutal. <laughs> the, the intro, I had everybody, or not everyone, all the Melbourne people I had over to my home last uh, Friday night because mm. uh, um, one of the executive producers was down uh, and, and it was uh, Barry and, her, and uh, Chrissy. Joel and mm. Merv and their part, their respective partners and a couple of friends, and uh, I and I, it was it because both my husband Dan and I said, I wonder if they're going to um, be a, even a little bit grumpy or <laughs> I don't know what they're how they feel about me yes. making them do that stuff. And of course, <laughs> every one of them, every single one of them, every single cast member that I spoke to came out saying, only now that I'm home do I have a real understanding of how it's changed me for the positive and how this was one of the great experiences of my lifetime. The biggest challenge for all of them, it wasn't being hungry, it was being bored. Yep. And, you know, all these people are used to running big careers and forever trying to keep that stuff afloat and it really does take all day every day. And so all of a sudden... You know, in the in the style of Ice Ice Baby, having to stop <laughs> and listen, I think was a major challenge for them. They all came yep. out a little bit slimmer, which is always nice, but that wasn't actually the big change that it brought about in them. It brought about this feeling of uh, being mighty and able to, in actual fact, cope with anything. Oh, and and so, we saw that play out. I mean, we, we look at, yeah. um, well, understandably, for those that are of, of fitness-oriented, people like Tyson, let's work out, let's help pass the hours by doing the things that I do to help keep me buff. 
Um, yeah. If you're someone like Mr. Datto, and that this was a wonderful surprise for mine, let's create Craft Club. Let's oh. have something where we can all do something. And you can be involved if you want to or don't, but, you know, just that whole let's get creative and do something with the very limited resources that we have to hand. Or if you're Julie Goodwin, let's just steal things. Yeah, oh, fantastic. And let's just do some, uh, let's get some underarm deodorant salt on the move. Yes. That was, uh, well, it was fascinating seeing the people who had more experience in making television, creating moments. Mm. Because I think most of them just felt like, and I do not blame them for a moment, I think a lot of them just felt like I'm just going to bide my time by lying on this bed because I just need to endure today. I don't actually need to get involved. And then Andrew Datto in particular, and, and, and to a greater extent Maureen McCormack, Mm. Um, really tried to create television moments, and they tried quite hard to do it. They were, they were aware of where their cameras were. They were aware of the time of day when people would be noticing. They were um, very, you know, they, uh, off camera or, or outside of television world that the audience got to see, they were saying people aren't tuning in to look at us on our beds. Mm. So let's get up and do something. And yes. it brought about great, and of course, I would have been on that bed going, I can't, I cannot be bothered. I mean, I do that in my own private time, so I would absolutely <laughs> have done it in, in the jungle. <laughs> do I even need to get up today? So, um, I, you know, I think that they all came out. I think they all came out really impressed with themselves. And there's not a lot of times in life that you take any time out to be impressed with yourself, mm. which is great. There's lots of special moments I think we can look back on celebrity and see, you know, things uh, that just deserve special mentions, whether it's Sam Mack uh, and his, you know, hour afterwards. Glorious. Uh, just having to effectively Big Brother-esque live narrate what was happening in camp after you and Chris had just been in and dropped the uh, who's doing the next challenge bombshell. Yeah. Uh, he's just a funny, funny dude. And given that opportunity, he did a great job. Isn't he absolutely spectacular? And, you know, we did not get time with those celebrities at all outside of that moment of going in to tell them who's in the trial and the moments at the trial. And, you know, at the trial, we were not really allowed to hang around and chat with them. They weren't meant to get an understanding of how well the show Mm. was doing and they certainly weren't allowed to know any details or messages from home or any of that sort of stuff because the second they spoke to us about it meant they weren't speaking to the camera about it so that it steals moments from the audience. Yeah. So that's very... um, so frustrating with someone, say, like Chrissy, who's who's yes. one of my really close friends, to not be able to go to her and hug her and say, mate, you're doing, you're doing beautifully. I'm really proud of you. There was no mm. time to do that. We just didn't have that option. The, um, the Joel and Chrissy show was a delight. Fantastic. Goodness gracious me. Well, at first it was sort of odd seeing people bitching about other people on television, but I can assure mm. you that would have been me. I would have been bitching about those morons as well. I'd be like, oh, God, let's do some more working out. So often, I think a lot of people, well, audience members saw themselves in many of the different characters because you imagine, mm. oh, that's probably how I would have been if I was in there. I wonder if I, I would like to think I would be a bit more Freddie Flintoff, but I wonder if I probably just would have been, you know, one of the, one of the river cats just, you know, making fun of people for sure. Do you think it was a controversial outcome? That Freddie Flintoff wins. Uh, I think well, from a celebrity, certainly from um, where, from what we were watching with all of the footage, no one deserved mm. it more. He, um, oh, well, maybe that's not entirely true. I, I was wondering if Barry might win. It was impossible to pick. 
Because mm. certainly we saw a big change come about in Barry where he'd come from, sort of so grumpy at about week three and then all of a sudden. Mm. But it's, it's an incredibly Australian sensibility to uh, say, you know, say, you know what, I'm just going to give this a go. I might not be good at it, but I'm here to give it a go, so I'm going to give it my best shot. I, I thought Freddie was more Australian than the Australian. <laughs> you know, he was, was the one of... coming into the um, talk talkie talking about. Um, I don't know why everyone's whinging. Why don't we? It is what it is. You signed mm. up for it, so why don't we just do it? And he was, um, he was very sweet and very fun, and he just, he just seemed to have the right attitude. I also thought um, he seemed very sorted as a person. Mm. I wonder if just yes. realizing that it was the drink that was causing his depression that made him step aside from all of his usual behaviour and getting used to the new version of himself, you know, he was, he was absolutely spectacular. The other side of the coin is, I th- you know, he, he made it very clear that he would like to spend a lot more time with his family in Australia. So mm. this would go some way to paving the way to him getting some work when, uh, when they do get here. Oh, look, very much so, I think. And, and that's, we'll see the outcome and benefit of that. Do, do we get, look, this is just between you and me. No one's listening now. Yeah. Um, do we have any inside line as to whether we're going to get a season two and will you and Chris return for it? Oh, well, let me put it this way. My bags are already packed. <laughs> um, I'm really hoping that's the way it's going to go. There's been absolutely no official word. Mm. You know, there's been no date checking yet. There's been none of that go on. Um, I know that there have been ample discussions uh, at the network. So, I mean, literally Chris and I, he and I have been um, texting back and forth. We haven't spoken since we've been back. I think we've both gone back into our crazy lives. We have been texting back and forth. And he said he feels the same way. He's got his bag packed. It really was an extraordinary experience. He, we both had a ball. I think he showed that he is an extremely funny man. Mm, you know, he wrote much a, so. He definitely wrote a lot of those jokes where he's like, in this one, lean forward to kiss me and then I'm going to back off and then you fall or something like that. And I'd be like, oh, my God, that's hilarious. So he was, you know, there was a sort of a little bit online about There's no, if you treated a woman like that, people would be furious, but she should not harass him in that way. Be like, mate, <laughs> women were treated like that for 850 million years and it wasn't a joke. So I think it's going to even out in the wash. Plus. You know, he's a big, strong doctor. I'm sure if he wasn't enjoying it, he would have, st- he would have shut that down, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. But we are, um, we are dying to go back to do it again. And from what I understand, there is no shortage of um, new and interesting people who would be very keen to go and give the go. Yes, and look, I, I think you're right. that it, Look, a success for 10, no question. Uh, a great find in pairing both you and Chris in that host. Oh. You guys both killed it. They were very sweet. They described it as uh, lightning in a bottle. I mean, it was such a great combination mm. that we, the two of us just had an absolute ball. And, the, you know, it was electric on camera. So much fun. I'm willing to pack my bags and come with you, quite frankly. It's Why a, wouldn't you? It's not a hard sell. Oh, doll, let's get involved. I think so. Um, you reminded me just in talking very briefly about the, the Chris, uh, you dynamic again and that some of the stuff you got up to, some of the business. There was a very funny moment where um, was it, it was either a trustful exercise or something great for the slapstick <laughs> where you end up on, on your back on the ground uh, and he's just continuing on, you know. Like it never happened. Exactly. See, that's how I know he's a genius, <laughs> a comedy <laughs> genius because, you know, I said in this bit, I reckon – don't even look back. 
Mm. Just just keep it going. So not only did he do that, but his face was perfection. So square. Yeah, oh, it was lovely. It was so funny. And because um, I'm not a great stunt faller, I think there was a few stunt, <laughs> falls, a few stunt falls that I did through it. So the second we'd go, the commercial break had come. God love him, he'd turn around and be like, can I check your wrists? Are you okay? Because that's how you're falling. Are your elbows all right? Just want to let me just feel in that bone and make sure that's okay. And all right, no, that's fine. And he was just so sweet. So while he was ignoring the fact that I'd fallen on camera, <laughs> he was definitely making sure, like, you know, like when an old, like when an old lady falls over in the street. Mm. It was a very similar situation. He was checking your wings and uh, he was checking the poor old bird to make sure that there weren't any hairline fractures. <laughs> also, the running gag of the sound guy walking on the set that was like ep one. Uh. That then the rest of the just here and there he would just pop up again, just carrying uh. notes in. Delight. He was killing me. I mean, I, I can't bear rewarding people for bad work. But I was happy to enter into the joke because everybody felt it should get another run. But in the end, I'm like, get rid of them. <laughs> he was. Let's say he wasn't very present. The thing, um, <laughs> the thing about the crew is that they all stayed in this great big place that was like Dirty Dancing. Oh, wow. You know the place where they stayed at Dirty Dancing where everyone mm. was in little cabins all over this massive great big property? And so, I think that they just might have been getting on it every night. People were so hungover by the next day. I'm not the slightest bit surprised that he was just completely walking through shot. <laughs> and luckily that the network let us embrace those moments and make fun of them rather than pretend they hadn't happened. That's, yeah. that, that's when you know, you, you know that the network have got a great sense of humour. They really embraced it. They weren't. They weren't being stitched up about it in any way and they because they were, in theory, creating a new type of, not a new format, but I guess a new genre of making yeah. fun of something that's meant to be so full of jeopardy. But, um, we just found our way each day into the next bit. There was no um, big, long story arc and plan of how we were going to make fun of it. They just let us embrace it and go with it. And boy, it was refreshing. The, the biggest tongue in the biggest cheek. It was delightful to watch. Yeah. And I'm, it sounds like a whole bunch of fun to be involved with. Uh, Julie, we cannot wait to see more of that. However, we do get to see more of you very shortly. In Indeed. Yes, I'm, I'm hoping guessing... I'm not too far away. Look, there's, mm. um, I don't think there's an actual uh, date has been announced yet, but I know normally we would nearly be finished filming by the time it starts to go to air, and we've mm. we've not long started. We've we're five weeks in, or four four and a half weeks in. So I'm hoping that uh, once the Logies is out of the way, and uh, you know, we'd like to hunker down in winter time and watch our drama. So um, it shouldn't be too far before it, it comes up to the surface. Well, we can say with surety it'll be post Logies. Yes, for sure, absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. It will definitely be post-Logies, which is in two weeks, I think. Get all your TV news at MulksTVTalk.com. Julia, how can people, uh, apart from watching you on Nine shortly, how can people find you, follow you on the internet, enjoy your work, uh, find your stand-up show and come and see you do the funny? Well, I am going to be uh, touring the country uh, towards the end of, actually, I think it's the beginning of September and a little whisper into October. And I'm coming to most of the major caps and any of the capital cities that I haven't 
uh, announced on this part of my stand-up tour. We're going to uh, tickle those not long after that. There's a few places that always tend to miss out. One of them's Tassie. I never work out why. So uh, I'm desperate to hit Tassie as well. But my show is called I Don't Want Your Honest Feedback. And that was really generated from the internet because I was going through notifications one day on mm. my Twitter, which is um, at Lady JMO, and someone had said something like, you're not funny, you're ugly, you're this, you're that, whatever it was. And I just thought to myself, do you know, does anyone really want honest feedback? <laughs> That's I don't true. think they do. No. And so that's where I thought, actually, that, well, how good would life be if I just got up in the morning and I didn't have to read the paper and I didn't have to answer my phone and I didn't have to, uh, you know, hear honest feedback from the internet. <laughs> oh, my God, I'd be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> so a new and happy life is not bothering. So when people now say, um, listen, do you mind if I give you some honest feedback? I say, yes, I do mind. Because I'm not the slightest bit interested in your honest feedback, I'd rather remain in my world of uh, a complete delusion if you don't mind. The, the photo that's accompanying all of the promotion at the moment is you looking wistfully into the distance <laughs> with this wonderful <laughs> pair of fluffy pink earmuffs on. Uh, it is fine. Oh, it's so good. And you know what? At that particular photo shoot, I did a number of sort of comedy faces, and it was really um, Dan, my husband, who said, "I reckon." Just look, just look happy like you're vacant. <laughs> and I think that was the window in to the success of the photo, which is just so wrong, it's right. And it looks like someone who would be very happy from not hearing any honest feedback ever. It sounds like a keeper, that Dan, I tell you. Oh, I tell you what, he's absolutely spectacular, that Dan. Don't worry about Dan. He's on now, the help desk. <laughs> you're on the Facebook as well? You're on Instagram and stuff? I am. Look, I'm not great on feeding the Facebook. I think mm-hmm. that my um, Twitter uh, updates Facebook. I sort of, it's one of those things that you know, as a mother of a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, and holding down eighteen jobs with seventy-five different networks, as well as touring <laughs> live, something's got to give. And one of the things that gives are my friendships. You know, I'm not great on communication. I'm not mm. great with returning phone calls. I'm not great with returning emails. <laughs> so my friends over the years have either had to kind of accept it and pick up where we left off or just get grumpy forever and think I'm up myself. And the other thing that goes by the wayside, of course, is um, that there's a lot of times I just don't get to answer any of the feedback on um, on any of the worldwide interwebs. But I'm Lady Julia Morris on Instagram. And mm-hmm. before Instagram even floated to the surface, I always uploaded photos to Facebook and to um, Twitter because I really love the idea of a window in. Mm. I'm I'm visually I love visual splendor, and so when Instagram came to uh, into being, and you could actually see where people were and what they were up to, uh, or versions thereof, you know, postcard yes. relationships. Um, yes, I'm I'm very keen on uploading just crazy, and sometimes I'll just take crazy snaps for the sake of it. Sometimes I'll pull up a snap of where I looked good six years ago and pretend it was today. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds like the time capsule that we all need. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's only so much Botox and standing in the dusk uh, that can help you. <laughs> Julia, thank you for joining us this week on Mulch TV Talk, the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Mulch TV Talk and find me on Facebook and Instagram at thosethings.com slash TV Talk. New episodes are out Tuesdays, so make sure you subscribe via iTunes or your favourite podcasting app. And please do leave a sweet review. Tune in next week when you'll hear Lady Julia Morris say... 
Good night. 